Our scripture lesson for this evening, Ash Wednesday, comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20b through chapter 6, verse 10. The Apostle Paul tells us, We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain, for he says, At an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. See, now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way, through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well known, as dying and see we are alive, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing everything. On this night, may God's grace bring you comfort and peace. Amen. About a week and a half ago, I was able to not only attend, but then also to participate in a service of ordination for a fellow pastor down in Council Bluffs. After many years of serving as minister and slowly working his way through education, James Rutt was ordained into the Office of Word and Sacrament. Now, I mentioned this in worship a couple of weeks ago. James is a native of South Sudan, and the congregation that he serves is made up of members of the South Sudanese community from around the metro area. And his ordination, let me tell you, it was a celebration in every sense of the word. And not only just for that individual congregation, but really for the entire South Sudanese population around the the upper part of the Midwest. There were visitors from as far north as St. Cloud, Minnesota, as far south as Kansas City, who all gathered together in Council Bluffs for what was in every single way a celebration. Now, I've been to ordinations before, and for the most part, at least here in the ELCA that we are a part of, They follow a pretty set flow of liturgy. The order of service is pretty well set. Now, there are personal embellishments for everyone, of course, but the general flow is pretty common. But that was not the case for James's ordination. It was a glorious mix of cultures with many aspects seemingly kind of coming from left field and out of nowhere in comparison with the very general order of service that we had prepared ahead of time. Now, the other aspect that made this interesting for me personally was the invitation that I received pretty much right before the service started to serve as assisting minister. And in this capacity, I ended up leading a fair bit of the ordination service, but I had to stay on my toes the entire time because you never knew when a bunch of Sudanese singing was going to come out of nowhere and go on for half an hour. It was great, but it was off the wall. It all went fine in the long run, and it was really great, but it made me aware of the way that I've grown comfortable with worship not always going according to plan. 
But that wasn't always the case for me. Back in my earliest days, before I even started seminary, when I was just kind of trying on this whole preaching and leading worship thing, I would provide monthly pulpit supply for a very small rural congregation where 10 people was a good crowd. They were a fun bunch though, and they graciously put up with my lack of experience. And so we always joked around that if I missed something in the liturgy, if I skipped over something, they should just throw a hymnal at me. The joke was all well and good till the day it happened. <laughs> On this particular Sunday, we had wrapped up the opening hymn, as, as we always do, and I jumped right into the portion of the Lutheran liturgy known as the Kyrie. Now, we don't do it here very often. Monday, Thursday is about the only time here in Underwood when we do it. But it's the part where I chant, in peace, let us pray to the Lord. And then they go, Lord, have mercy. And we go back and forth a few times. We were about halfway through that part of, of the liturgy when I noticed a guy in the back was raising his hand and grabbing my attention and finally goes, Scott, you skipped the brief order. And I thought about it, and sure enough, yes, I had skipped the brief order. Just went right on past it. This threw me for a loop as I thought there in an instant, oh no, what are we gonna do, I messed up. And my first thought was, oh well, we do it every week. It's not gonna hurt if we miss it this one time. But as I thought that, I could tell <clears throat> that was not gonna fly. For these people, this aspect of worship, this flow of the service itself, it was vital to them. And in the years since that day, I've thought a lot about it and I've, I've come to recognize that importance as well. I've come to feel the necessity of coming before God, of confessing our brokenness and our sinfulness, our need for a savior to admit these things to one another and with one another. And then as soon as we have done that, to immediately hear the words of absolution, those words, the announcement of God's grace and forgiveness that is for each one of us. I can't help but think that this is something that's absolutely central to us with our Lutheran heritage our understanding of faith, the vital sense that we all bring into worship. Now, certainly our liturgy or our order of worship that we follow here on a Sunday morning in Underwood, it's a little different than what we might see in some other Lutheran churches, some other congregations, but we do still have that same bit, don't we? Every single week as we turn to page 56 in our hymnals and share in the brief order. But tonight we didn't do it. Tonight's worship's different. Even though we will, a little bit later on in the service, share in a time of mutual confession together, we're not using the brief order on page 56 that we normally use. And you might notice, we also will not have the usual announcement of forgiveness that typically comes with our time of confession. This has happening today because of the setting and the day that we find ourselves on here on Ash Wednesday. Today, as we are kicking off the season of Lent, as we begin moving towards Holy Week, we move towards the culmination of Jesus' ministry, not to mention the culmination of the whole Christ event itself when he is betrayed and he's tortured and ultimately killed on the cross. But as we start this season tonight, it's good for us to reflect on our part of it. Tonight's focus, tonight's worship, 
and especially the action that we will all join in in a few moments, all of this serves as a tangible reminder of our brokenness, our sinfulness, the part that we each play in whatever it is that God is up to through Jesus Christ. Tonight, we get ash on our foreheads. Tonight, we hear words that remind us of our mortality. We find out or we hear that we're made of dust, that the building blocks of our physical bodies are quite literally the same as the dust of the earth, which is also stardust. We remember, perhaps with a great deal of humility, that as God made all of this, everything in our reality, God used the same materials to make you. And as amazing as that is, we're also reminded tonight through this simple action that when this life is over, when the spark that somehow makes you, you, when that runs out, we will return to the dust that we came from. Now, in addition to that, we are reminded of the cause of this cycle that we experience, the brokenness that we are a part of, and that is also a part of us. Admittedly, I've got a little bit of a love-hate relationship with this Ash Wednesday service that we join in every year. On one hand, as we go through the service of the imposition of ashes, I am blessed to look each one of you in the eye, to think about the relationship that we have formed and that we share. For each of you, I think about the history that I've been a part of, the highs and the lows, the things that we have in common, the good stuff and the not so great stuff. It's wonderful. But at the same time, that's all running through my head I'm also hyper aware that I'm saying words and taking action for each of you that talks about your death, and that's heavy. As we think about this reality of death, we also have to be aware of how little control we have over it, which if we're honest, we realize is none. We have no control at all, and death comes for each of us, and as we know, as we have seen in our community time and time again, it can and often does strike without warning. That sense of the unknown, that recognition that tomorrow, while we expect it, is not guaranteed, I believe that keys us into a sense of urgency that's present within Paul's letter to the Corinthians that we have shared tonight. This brief portion of the letter reveals a great deal of the Apostle Paul's experience in ministry. <clears throat> the hardships and the persecutions that he was familiar with, while at the same time revealing the hope and the joy and the benefits that he regarded in the eternal sense. But even in the midst of all of that that we can find in this short little passage that we have shared, there are two phrases that really jumped at me as we consider all of this different stuff tonight. Now Paul says, behold, now is the time. Now is the day right now, in this moment. And if we think about that, we wonder perhaps, well, what are we called into? What is this the time for? And Paul lines that out in the very first verse. He tells us, be reconciled to God. Now, maybe that's kind of sort of sounding a little 
borderline fire and brimstone which most of you know is not really my style. And I'm not going that direction, so let me clarify. I don't think this call to be reconciled, this call to turn away from our brokenness, this call to repentance, I don't believe it should be based in fear. I don't believe that we should hear it from the perspective of, hey, you might die tomorrow. Are you afraid you're going to go to hell? I don't buy it. Because I believe with every atom of my being, every little bit of dust that forms me, I believe that the spark that makes me, me, and that makes you, you, originated from the one who made us in the first place. The one who made us bearing the divine image. The one who calls each of us very good in the first place. I believe all that makes us as individuals and yet also unites us in our common humanity reveals an inherent need for relationship with one another and relationship with the one that made us in the first place. But as I say that, I also recognize that the brokenness of this reality and of me hinders that relationship. And yet despite this, the same God who made it possible through Christ to somehow be reconciled, all of this happens as we give voice to the sin that resides right here in each of us. We turn from it, and we turn back to the one who has promised to always be there to receive us back. This is the promise of the gospel that we proclaim. This is the promise and the truth that's revealed in a very well-known parable that I think probably all of us are aware of, the parable of the prodigal son. No matter where we are or what is standing in our way, our perfect parent is always seeking us out and is there when we return. Thanks be to God that this is not just some fancy batch of words that we say, but that Christ has given us tangible signs of these promises. Now, the first one happens in that font when we're washed in the waters of baptism and we are claimed by God as beloved children, we are made heirs of the promise of grace and the promise of love and the promise of forgiveness. And then knowing that we are claimed, we gather around this table. We come to it on equal ground, united in our common brokenness, and tonight we will do so literally bearing the mark on our forehead. And we hear the words and we receive the body, and we receive the blood of Christ, which is broken and poured out for you and for all people. And we hear this is for the forgiveness of sins. This is what we will do tonight. And I love how our liturgy here in Underwood and our tradition pairs these two things up together. We will each hear words of our mortality and our limitations, and then immediately we will receive the elements that carry the forgiveness of God within them. Keep that in mind tonight, as our liturgy will lack the literal announcement of forgiveness. Remember that because tonight God is literally giving it to you to receive, to take into yourself, to consume, so that it will become a part of you. Because somehow through Christ, it is a part of us, that part which God looks and sees as good and is worthy of redeeming. Amen.